It is Thursday, October 12th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellums. Today, technology and the classroom. Schools are not providing adequate resources or transparency to any of the stakeholder groups we surveyed, and so that was teachers, parents, and students. Plus, 50 years of engineering in Northwest Arkansas. Two gentlemen uh, got together at the University of Arkansas. They were there to get their master's degree in, in, in environmental engineering. And they got together there, formed a relationship, and always wanted to build their lives in Northwest Arkansas. That Those two people were Mike Shute and Bob Holmes. And the contributions of indigenous composers to American music. First, this hour's news from NPR. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College. With the Tuition Advantage Scholarship, admitted first-year students will pay no more in tuition at Hendricks than the published tuition and fees rate at their home state's public flagship university. Hendricks.edu slash tuition advantage for more. The Momentary in Bentonville presents Inverse 2023. A four-day performance art festival, November 2nd through the 5th, featuring more than 14 performance artists from across the U.S. The festival brings liveness, experimentation, and radical approaches to the important issues of our moment. Tickets and information at themomentary.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, October 12th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Thanks so much to everybody who came to the Carver Center for Public Radio for our coffee-fueled drop-in this morning. It's part of our KUAF Member Appreciation Week. And I apologize right now to Timothy Dennis because he has seen a very (laughs) caffeine-induced... It's not the first time. (laughs) No, no. Uh, By the way, Friday night, we're going to conclude our Membership Appreciation Week with a gathering at Black Apple on Emma in downtown Springdale. We'll have a few more prizes to give away, as well as a trivia contest. And later this hour, we'll give you one of the trivia questions and the answer, so you can have a head start on tomorrow's competition. First up, a new nationwide study is raising concerns about the use of technology in the classroom. The research from the Center for Democracy and Technology in Washington, D.C., surveyed 6th through 12th grade teachers and parents and high school-age students across the country this summer to better understand what role advanced technology is playing in the classroom. Elizabeth Laird is CDT's Director of Equity and Civic Technology, and she's co-author of the report. She recently spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth about her findings. So what we found in our research is that schools are using an increasingly broad array of technologies to help students learn and keep them safe. But unfortunately, we're also seeing that some of them are interfering with students' education and even more are failing to keep them safe. Almost every teacher we surveyed said that their school uses software that's supposed to restrict access to harmful online content. However, three-quarters of students say that this filtering and blocking has gone too far and actually prevents them from completing school assignments, and teachers agree that this is an issue. And finally, the technology that needs no introduction, generative AI, half of teachers say that they know of a student who's gotten in trouble for using it when only a quarter of them have received any guidance from their school on how to respond if they suspect a student of cheating. And it's interesting, you know, a lot of this technology, I think, you know, we would assume could help like bridge some of those educational gaps or divides and maybe make learning more accessible or easier. I mean, does this study find any advantages to this technology? And maybe when does it start to become a problem? Um, what I would say, I think our goal in this research is to try and identify where the risks are so that all of the benefits that um, you've just started to talk about can be realized. 
And so I'll offer a couple of places that um, schools would benefit from um, focusing more on privacy and equity concerns that we saw come through across all different types of technology that are being used in schools. Um, the first is that schools are not providing adequate resources or transparency to any of the stakeholder groups we surveyed. And so that was teachers, parents, and students. And so the example I'll offer is that um, alongside conversations about banning books in school libraries, one third of teachers say that their school is more likely to ban content associated with LGBTQ plus students and students of color, when only 27% of parents have ever been asked for their input of what content is restricted. And so what this amounts to is a digital version of what's happening in schools in terms of banning content, but with even less visibility from parents and the public. The other risk that I would offer um, that school leaders would benefit from focusing on more is that the technology that they are using to keep students safe is actually endangering them. So we found this year, unfortunately, that um, LGBTQ plus students are being outed due to student activity monitoring, and that's actually up six percentage points from last year. So one in five students know someone who has been outed because of this technology. And students with disabilities, I talked about law enforcement getting involved, they're even more likely to report that they're contacted by law enforcement due to online alerts. Wow. And so can you talk a little bit about that, you know, the technology, like the filtering, the blocking, um, content monitoring, you know, how are schools using these technologies and and where is the, the guidance for that coming from? So the origin of both of these technologies, one is rooted um, in the early 2000s when there was a law passed that required them to prevent access to uh, content that might be harmful to a minor. So historically, that's meant adult explicit online content, and that is what, what schools are doing. However, they've gone far beyond that, and as I mentioned, they are um, uh, using filtering to at times actually prevent students from just doing their schoolwork and other times use um, more subjective values that they don't think uh, students should have access to, but parents have no say in what that looks like. And then with monitoring technology, the origin of of that technology was really during COVID when schools moved from the classroom to the home. And schools wanted to maintain greater visibility into what students were doing online. But now that um, we have this research, my hope is that school leaders can look at how these technologies are being used and try and better understand the negative effects that they're having, but especially the negative effects they're having on students by race, by sex, and by disability. And if those um, groups of students sound familiar, it's because civil rights protections have existed to prevent discrimination against them for decades. And so I'd like to see education leaders really take stock of how they're using data and technology to understand if these groups are being harmed more than their peers, even if it's not on purpose, and use the existing staff and policies and practices that they already have to protect students in person and apply those to ensure they're just as safe online as they are in a classroom. Yeah. And so as far as like remedies for this go, you know, what are some actions that either educators, people in the classroom, students, policymakers, what are some action items that they can take to mitigate these risks? So I would like to talk about the role of parents. So they are oftentimes missing from conversations about, unfortunately, the way that technology is used in schools. And so for your listeners who are parents of K-12 students, If they are listening to this and are uh, sharing some of the concerns that we highlight, I want them to know that they're not alone. 
and that we actually saw concerns among parents increase by 12 percentage points over last year. And this could be in part due to more of them being notified that their school has had a data breach. So one in five parents say that they have received notification that their child's information has been breached by the school, which is likely contributing to increased worries. Um, the other thing that I hope parents hear is that they should not bear this burden alone, and it really falls to schools, and they need to do more to protect their children um, when they are entrusted to go to their schools. And so with parents, I would love for them to engage with their schools and ask questions like, how prepared are they for a data breach? What type of content is filtered or blocked and why? Um, who gets to next city monitoring alerts outside of school hours? I mentioned earlier that law enforcement can be involved in this. Um, and then finally, as we enter the new school year and uh, we know that generative AI is not going away, what type of guidance has the school provided to teachers about how students can use generative AI and how should they respond if they think they're using it in ways that aren't permitted? Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, AI technology. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in Arkansas, which is sort of more of a rural state. We have maybe less access to some technologies than, than a lot of other places. But, you know, how is AI, is that in the classrooms today? How is it being used? And are there rules or restrictions kind of around it, like in school districts? Yeah. yeah. AI is not just coming to schools, it's here. And so specifically with generative AI, 58% um, of, of students say that they've used generative AI in the past year. And if you have, um, if a student has a disability, they're even more likely to use it. So 72% of students with disabilities say that they've used this technology in the past year. And at the same time, to your point about what type of guidance are schools providing, one third of teachers reported that their school has banned generative AI and fewer than half say that they've received any substantive training on this technology. So Arkansas is, is certainly not alone in um, grappling with what is the role of AI in the classroom moving forward. And one specific um, risk that I would call out that would benefit from more attention is the way that um, the use of generative AI is using to mistr leading to mistrust between teachers and students. So 62% of teachers agreed with the statement that generative AI has made them more distrustful of whether their students' work is actually theirs. When we asked students, only 19% of students said that they've submitted uh, a paper that was generated by this technology. And not only that, half of teachers agree that students that use school-provided devices are more likely to get in trouble or face negative consequences for using generative AI. So there appears to be you know, quite a big gap between what teachers think is happening and what students are actually doing. And schools um, have not provided guidance to teachers to help them navigate and uh, create a learning environment in which technology use is supported and fair and equitable and doesn't lead to this kind of adversarial relationship. Well, Elizabeth, that was mostly what I had for you. Was there anything else that you wanted to add or think people should know? Um, not for me. I just appreciate your time. Um, and if you want to uh, read more about our research, you can go to our website which is cdt.org. That was Elizabeth Laird, co-author of a new study from the Center for Democracy and Technology. She spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth last month. A three-day conference about combining technology and biking will take place in Bentonville next week. People for Bikes Shift 23 is a conference dedicated to electric bicycles. The keynote address will be delivered by Mary T. Boyle, Commissioner of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. And during that conference, from the 16th through the 18th, People for Bikes plan to unveil 
unveil its electric mountain bike pilot project toolkit. More information about the conference and registration at shift.peopleforbikes.org. Still to come on our program today, imagine watching the world of engineering evolve in northwest Arkansas through the last 50 years. That's probably the biggest thing that's changed in the past 50 years is the advent of remote work and being able to use, utilize talent throughout the United States. Celebrating a half century of engineering in just a few minutes on today's show. Hi, it's Steve Inskeep with NPR News, reminding you that radio is a medium that allows for multitasking while you're getting up in the morning, while you're getting dressed, getting showered, making breakfast, getting off to work or to school or getting kids where they need to be. We are with you, informing you of the world. Jumpstart your day with Morning Edition from NPR News. You can listen to NPR's Morning Edition tomorrow and each weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. The draft for a proposed constitutional amendment to protect Freedom of Information Act in Arkansas is being released. Creators of the proposal say their goals include enshrining Arkansas FOIA into the state constitution as it existed before this fall's special session of the Arkansas legislature. If approved, it would also demand a vote by the public be required before any changes could take effect. The draft was created by a committee chaired by State Senator Clark Tucker, a Democrat. That committee also included Nate Bell, a former Republican member of the Arkansas House of Representatives. The chancellor at the University of Arkansas says he wants the campus to continue to improve and to make the flagship campus in Fayetteville an employer of choice. But, he says in 2023, colleges and universities have to be willing to think differently to achieve these goals. It's about establishing, you know, career ladders so that we know, well, you know where your next step is. It's about establishing balance so that you don't pay people more for the same job in the College of Business than you pay them in Fulbright. Chancellor Robinson made his comments during yesterday's State of the University address. He says investments into making the university employer of choice cannot come from steep increases in tuition. It comes from us reimagining how we invest. It comes from us thinking about how we can use the money we already have improve our operations, our shared services, so that we can have more money to invest in you. Several vice chancellors also spoke yesterday, discussing enrollment goals and other subjects. Videos for the event can be found on the University of Arkansas's YouTube channel. The founder of Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville is making grants to more than 60 other museums to help them attract new visitors. Alice Walton has donated more than $40 million to 64 museums across the country to help those museums reduce admission costs as well as strengthen programming and marketing. U.S. Senator John Bozeman says he's concerned about the number of farming families in Arkansas. He delivered remarks yesterday at the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance's College Hunger Summit, a day-long event focused on finding and sharing solutions to end the stigma around food insecurity on college campuses. Senator Bozeman's remarks focused on the Farm Bill, a piece of legislation that impacts programs ranging from crop insurance for farmers to food stamps for low-income families. He expressed concern over population drops in farming communities over recent years. In 2 to 53 of our counties lost population in the last census. So you're seeing our small towns you know, dry up. And the Farm Bill is all about supporting farmers, making it such that not only they continue to have the cheapest, safest food supply of anybody. Food security is national security, but also uh, protecting our small communities. 
so that they can continue to go forward. The senator also emphasized the bipartisan nature of the farm bill. He says it's one example of what Democrats and Republicans can accomplish by working across the aisle. The Indigenous Food and Agriculture Initiative and the University of Arkansas Law School will be able to use a half-million-dollar award for expanding food safety across Native American communities. The award comes from a collaboration with the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food and Nutrition Service. The grant will allow for further development of culturally appropriate produce safety curriculum. The sixth-ranked Razorback soccer team is playing at home tonight, hosting Florida. The Razorbacks enter the contest with a 9-3-1 record. And the Razorback swimming and diving team will be in Little Rock tomorrow for a matchup with Little Rock. The meet at the Donahue Aquatic Center is scheduled to begin at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. It's the third time the two programs have met, and the first time this meet has taken place in Little Rock. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. Today we will visit with Jeff Gerian. He is the president and CEO of CEI Engineering Associates. That's a national commercial services development firm in Bentonville. The company celebrated its 50th anniversary on Tuesday and held the event inside their future expanded Bentonville headquarters. We've also got details of a rooster revival. AQ Chicken House, that's the popular Springdale restaurant that closed this year after 76 years in business, is making a comeback under new ownership. Those stories and more are ahead after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create health care solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. On Tuesday, CEI Engineering in Bentonville hosted its 50th anniversary celebration. The company held the event inside one of two buildings at the Rice Office Complex. That's a 33-acre office development north of the Arkansas Highway 72 exit just off Interstate 49 in Bentonville. Later this year, that will be CEI's new headquarters. The new address will more than double the firm's office footprint CEI leases about 14,000 square feet now in the Regency Park Business Center just off Walton Boulevard. Jeff Gerian joined the company in 1990 and was appointed president and CEO in 1996 when he was just 30 years old. We spoke this week about the company's past, present, and future. Jeff, we're here for two reasons today. It's the company's 50th anniversary, and this is soon to be your new address. Let's take the first one first. Give me the quick overview of CEI in 1973. How did this company come to be, 
who was, I know you weren't here then. <laughs> How did CEI come to be in 1973 in Bentonville? I've heard stories. I think most of them are true, but I'm not 100% sure. But two gentlemen uh, got together at the University of Arkansas. They were there to get their master's degree in, in environmental engineering. And they got together there, formed a relationship, and always wanted to build their lives in Northwest Arkansas. That Those two people were Mike Shute and Bob Holmes. Um, so they started CEI. They bought a small firm at the time, two-person firm in Bentonville called Shields and Pace. And um, that's how CEI got started. So uh, from there, it just it's grown into what it is today. Right. And you joined the firm in 1990 mm -hmm. and, have, and have been the CEO since? I've, since 1996. Okay. So I've been here for a while. Right. Um, had lots of fun along the way. Right. A lot of ups and downs like any business. But... Uh, Man, glad to be here to celebrate 50 years. It's a real big deal. What does CEI look like now on its 50th birthday? Where are you? You're a national company, but yeah. based here in Bentonville. We are based here in Bentonville. That is our home. And I will tell you that the majority of our work, or biggest part of our work, is here in northwest Arkansas. But most people don't know about us is that probably half, if not a little bit more, of our work is actually throughout the United States. So we do a lot of... Uh, what we call rollout program type work uh, for clients that have multiple projects in multiple states. And we try to help them achieve their goals for how many stores they want to open in any given year. And uh, it's a, been a real real good part of the business for us. So uh, as it stands today, we've got 170 people. Um, as I was telling you earlier, uh, about half those people are actually more than half are actually working remotely for us. Uh, we have people in about 18 states now. Um, that represent us there locally, uh, around their area, uh, but also uh, report to work every day just like people here in Bentonville do. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest thing that's changed in the past 50 years is the advent of remote work and being able to use utilize talent throughout the United States. Right, and then especially in the past three years, right, yeah. because of the pandemic, how yeah. is remote work working for you? It's working well, it also, it has its ups and downs. I mean, your, your managers have to learn how to communicate more, be more effective. Uh, me more deliberate, more articulate in instructions and more check-ins. But the great thing about technology is it's just like somebody sitting next to you these days. So in a lot of ways, it hasn't changed our business at all. Uh, but in other ways, if you're used to having somebody sit next to you, it's a little bit of a learning curve to figure out how to make it work. Right. Right now, CEI is located just off Walton Boulevard in Bentonville. Today, we are standing in the Rice Office Complex in North Bentonville, right along Interstate 49. And this is soon going to be CEI's new headquarters. I think you'll be moving in a couple of months later this year. Talk about the reasons for this move. How's it going to make you better? What are some of the neat things about this relocation? I think the neatest thing is we've been in our current location for about 11 or 12 years. Uh, we have gotten to the point where we're actually, uh, they were made a storefront type office space. And as we have grown, we've grown into multiple buildings. Uh, not all of our people are under the same roof. It's not very efficient for us to work together for the people that work in the office. Uh, so I, I think this is a step up for us. Uh, it's easier access for our, uh, our employees that travel from Fayetteville or Springdale. Uh, it's a little bit easier access for them. Uh, and the space is a little bit more modern. And it's, uh, it's, an, uh, it's a step above uh, in terms of being able to recruit and have a neat place for people to work. So it, it has collaboration space in it, which is a term that everybody uses in the office market today. Uh, which we don't currently have at our current location. So just or, affords us a lot of modern type things that help us be a better company. You mentioned that word recruiting. What is it like uh, recruiting top talent to your firm right now in Northwest Arkansas? There is a lot of work going on in this region. 
um, nationwide especially, but a lot of work going on in this region. You mentioned the infrastructure bill, a lot of projects in the pipeline. What's it like to recruit the talent? Oh, it's tough. I mean, there's beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's super tough. Um, everybody needs people right now. Uh, so it puts a lot of pressure on wages, puts a lot of pressure on uh, engineers being able to get the work done that they've committed to. So uh, it's the toughest I've seen in my 33 years. And it, there's always been a shortage of engineers in the civil engineering industry, uh, but it's it's worse now than I've ever seen it. So um, it's changed a lot of the things that we do, from hiring remotely uh, to try to fill that talent void uh, is a big part of that, is being able to go where people are versus trying to get people to move here. Now, with that said, uh, it's become an easier sell to get people to move to Northwest Arkansas than it was 50 years ago. So, uh, so it's not that we, we do both. Right. Uh, so I want to make that clear. But uh, it's, it's still a tough market. It's just hard to find people. That's Jeff Garion, president and chief executive of CEI Engineering Associates in Bentonville. This is the company's 50th anniversary year. And in a couple of months, they will relocate their corporate headquarters to the Rice Office Complex along Interstate 49 in Bentonville. Now, we'll have more about the company later this month in the Business Journal. You can also learn more at ceieng.com. In other news this week, the latest issue of the Business Journal is out, and on the cover, we have details of a restaurant revival being planned for AQ Chicken House in Springdale. AQ closed earlier this year after a run of 76 years, but an investor group with long ties to Springdale closed a deal in September to buy the rights to the restaurant's name, recipes, and branding. And they are planning to build a new AQ chicken house along Interstate 49 in Springdale. Tom and Robin Lundstrom, their daughter Gracie Lively, and her husband Jacob Lively are leading that effort through their new holding company called Catalyst Capital. A new commercial real estate brokerage is up and running in Northwest Arkansas. It's called Genesis Commercial. Grady Matthews, Zach Hawker, and Stuart Collier are the co-founders. And Chase Bank is expected to open two new branches this fall in Bentonville and Springdale. The company opened its first Northwest Arkansas branch on Dixon Street in Fayetteville in February. Chase Bank started its expansion into Arkansas when it opened a Little Rock branch in July 2021. You can find all of those stories and more at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. We've made it to Thursday once again. Let's talk live music, Timothy Dennis. Let's do it. Let's start with tomorrow night. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville for their main show. They're going to have a duo, Langhorn Slim and John Craigie. I tell myself not to lose control. I'll take it slow, but it's hard to do. When you're a lion like me, on a lion like you. You got the hands that I really like Langone Slim. Yeah, he's a songwriter from Nashville. Mm -hmm. John Craigie is from Portland. It's part of a short tour they're doing of stripped-down duo shows. Okay. So they're both acoustics. Should be a really good show. Tickets are $25 today. They go up to $30 tomorrow at the door. That show starts at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. 
Happening in North Fayetteville tomorrow night, JJ's Live is going to have Death Grips on their stage. They're an experimental hip-hop band that's originally from Sacramento. Okay. Tickets are $37.50 in advance, go up to $42.50 at the door. Starts at 8.30 tomorrow night. Again, that's at JJ's Live in Fayetteville. Smoke and Barrel tomorrow night in downtown Fayetteville is going to have a hard rock show featuring the band's Mudlung, TV Preacher, and Dogbite. Tickets are $10. That gets underway at around 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville. Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville tomorrow night is going to have the Jeff Lorber Fusion Trio. Mm-hmm. That is in Star Theater. It's uh, part of the Starlight Jazz series. Jeff Lorber, he is a Grammy-winning pianist. He mixes jazz, blues, funk, and R&B in his sound. Mm -hmm. Tickets start at $31. That show starts at 7.30 tomorrow night. Again, that's at Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville. And again, give that disclaimer. It's in Star Theater, so it's the smaller venue. Right, right. I I wouldn't wait. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. And those shows in Star Theater, they're really intimate. Yeah. Really, really perfect for that kind of music. Yeah. Moving on. Meteor Guitar Gallery up in Bentonville tomorrow night is going to have Simply Seeger on stage. I'm going to guess this is a tribute to Bob Seeger. I would hope so. Oh, we don't know. Okay. I mean, I'm that, I would, I'm 99% okay. certain that's what Very it good. is. Cover is $10 in advance, goes up to $15 at the door, and that starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Moving on. More music in Bentonville tomorrow night. City Sessions is going to have a house concert featuring artist Bailey Bigger. Uh, she's a songwriter that's originally from Marion, and she transplanted to Memphis. Okay. She's supported on that bill by local songwriter Peter Rexford. I have this theory about Marion, Arkansas. Yeah. Because... So many people from Marion are creative or good writers that Marion may have the highest per capita native Arkansas creative population in the state. Well, Marion's pretty rural, right? Ish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, as someone who grew up in a rural area without much to do, I mean, you you find your own enjoyment. That's true. That's true. Tickets for that show are $26. Uh, if you want information about that, go to City Sessions NWA's Facebook page, or you can find the event on Stubbs. Okay. And that show starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's by City Sessions in Bentonville. Over in Eureka Springs tomorrow night, the Gravel Bar is going to have the rock and roll band Magnolia Brown mm-hmm. back in the house. Yep. Tears of joy upon your face. You will finally That show starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Then Got a Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs tomorrow night is going to have New York City-based songwriter Caitlin Richards in the house. I've been stopped and I've been strained. Been worshipped, I've been praised. I've been listed, I've been thrown. I've been lied to, I have grown. I'm in the future, I'm in the past. When you burst in 
That show starts at 5 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Got A Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs. Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday. 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville is going to have local songwriter Michael Bewley on stage. That show starts at 7 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville. Nomad's Trail Site in Fayetteville Saturday night is going to have a metal show featuring the band Koningsor, K-O-N-I-N-G-S-O-R. Okay. They are a, quote, melodic math metal band from Austin. I'm interested in yeah, yeah yeah I'm not a big metal fan but melodic math yeah right. I, I'm I'm into it tickets are ten dollars that starts at eight o'clock Saturday night again that's Nomad's Trailside in Midtown Fayetteville the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs Saturday night is going to have songwriter Dominic B Roy on their stage he's been playing every every way yes. it feels like kick me out That show starts at about 7 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Then Ozark Folkways in Winslow Saturday night, they're going to have a square dance. Ah. Uh, they're going to have a performance by a live string band, including Pete Howard. Of course. I knew Pete Howard yeah, was going to yeah, be yeah. part of this. Carol Ann yes. Rose. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Stephen Jarvis and Joni Green. And the dance, of course, is going to be called by Steve Green. Right. It is at Ozark Folkways, so they're asking for $10 at the door. That starts at 6 o'clock Saturday. Again, that's at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. Moving ahead to Sunday, George is in Fable is going to have shovels and rope. We'll rock a mountain cowboy in a rock and roll band, plug his amplifier in all across the land. Athens, Georgia on a Friday night, saw that little girl, she could sing all right. Oh, yeah. Boy, this one got past me. Okay. It got past me, too. I didn't realize that. But, I mean, as anyone who has seen them, you know, either at the Roots Fest or elsewhere knows, they are a powerhouse. Yeah, they really are. Tickets are $25 in advance. They go up to $28 at the door. According to Stubbs, there is a sellout risk, which doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, And that show starts at 8 o'clock Sunday night again. That's at George's in Fayetteville. Also happening Sunday up at Crystal Bridges, it's the Van Cliburn concert. Oh, yeah. This this is earlier than 8 p.m. Yeah, it is. They're featuring the works of Vadim Kolodinko. Tickets are $45. Starts at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon again. That's at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville. Then Got A Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs Sunday is going to have Dan McGuire on stage. He is a songwriter from Rockford, Illinois. Kind of mixes styles a little bit. It's a familiar name. It is a familiar name. I think it's just one of those names. Yeah, you know? yeah I think you're right, yeah. That show gets underway at 4 o'clock Sunday. Again, that's at Got A Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs. Okay, one more show jumping ahead to Wednesday. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have the band Nuco. 
on stage. How do you spell that? N-E-W-C-O. Okay. So think Wilco, except new instead of Will. Oh, okay. Uh, but they are a newer country band from Newton County. They're really good. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're joined on that bill by the truck stop poets. They're a blues rock band from Fort Smith. Okay. Tickets are $5 in advance. Go up to $8 at the door. That'll start at 8 o'clock next Wednesday. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. School night, but I might check that out. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with sound perimeter. Indigenous composers and performers of classical music in the United States have made significant contributions to the rich tapestry of American musical heritage. These musicians draw upon their unique cultural traditions, storytelling, and deep connections to the land to create and interpret music that resonate with both indigenous and non-indigenous audiences alike. Often, through their works, they explore themes of identity, resilience, and the intersection of ancient and contemporary perspectives. We open something similar today with bassoonist Jackie Wilson, a Yakama Nation citizen, performing Bluebirds, the first movement of four pieces for bassoon and piano, a piece written in 2018 by Navajo composer from Utah, Wanchu Besenti. Jackie Wilson currently serves as principal bassoonist of the Washington Idaho Symphony and assistant professor of bassoon at Washington State University, where she performs with the Solstice Faculty Wind Quintet. Jackie is an avid supporter of new music who frequently collaborates with indigenous composers on the creation of new works to expand the repertoire of the bassoon, bridging in that way her own cultural identity with her classical music training. Bluebirds was inspired by the composer's encounter with a flock of bluebirds flying on a cold winter morning in the desert. As you listen, I invite you to imagine the contrasting colors of birds, sky, and desert and reflect on the contrasting identities of those musicians choosing to bring their own rich and intersectional selves to the forefront through music, helping us expand our views of life.
It was bassoonist Jackie Wilson and pianist Yuko Kato performing Bluebirds by Navajo composer Juancho Vicente. Chokfi is the Chickasaw word for rabbit, who is an important trickster legend within the Southeast Native American cultures. Chokfi is also the title of a piece written by Chickasaw Nation composer from Norman, Oklahoma, Gerald Tate. Tate has been praised by the Washington Post as, quote, rare as an American Indian composer of classical music. Rarer still is his ability to effectively infuse classical music with American Indian nationalism. Tate wrote Chokfi originally for a youth orchestra, and he wanted it to be fun for the kids. The piece portrays different aspects of the rabbit's personality using distinctive techniques in the strings and percussions. Let us listen to an excerpt from this piece. Thank you. 
That was the San Francisco Symphony performing an excerpt from Chokfi, a piece by Chickasaw Nation composer from Norman, Oklahoma, Gerald Tate, who is also the conductor in this live recording from 2022. Classical music has long drawn from the rich tapestry of traditions woven by the composers who created it. Today, in Sound Perimeter, we feature Native American musicians shaping American classical music with their diverse cultural backgrounds and experiences. I hope you connected today with peoples and places while exploring new worlds of emotions and stories, evolving and adapting. Check out our program notes to find out more about our feature musicians. This is Leah Uribe, Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This segment is dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. I will see you soon. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Again, thanks to Rendition Coffee and Cocktails mm-hmm. and Sugar Apple Baking Company for coming here for the morning coffee and pastries event that we had for our members today. Fueled up our staff and a lot of our listeners as well. Yeah. Uh, it's Membership Appreciation Week at KUAF. It will conclude with an event at Black Apple on Emma Avenue in Springdale tomorrow night. Come on out. Join us. Yeah. We're going to have a trivia contest. Right. Prizes will be awarded for the winning team. Yeah. And what we're doing every day on Ozarks at Large is giving you one of the questions from mm-hmm. one of the five categories. So you hear it, you get the answer, you'll have a head start on your competitors. Right, right. So what's the question today? Well, today, so we're going to have five categories. Yeah. Uh, one is 1973, since we're 50 years old, KUF this year. One is KUF trivia. One is NPR trivia. One is Northwest Arkansas trivia. Right. And today's question and answer is Northwest Arkansas trivia. Springdale was incorporated in 1878, but when it was platted in 1866, it had a different name. What was the original name of Springdale? I knew this at one point because years ago when we had the recurring series, uh, What's in a Name? Yeah. When we were exploring place names of Northwest Arkansas, Uh Christina Carnatz did a story about this, and I cannot remember off the top of my head. I do know it was Bible-related, though. Very good. So what is that square in the middle of downtown? Shiloh. Shiloh was the original name. That will be one of the questions tomorrow night at Black Apple on Emma. We'll see you there.
Hi, I'm Matthew Moore, reporter and producer for Ozarks at Large. I love doing word games, especially the kind where you guess a five-letter word and you're given color-coded hints on how close you were to guessing that five-letter word. If you also love doing that kind of word game, then you should play the daily KUAF word game. Just head over to KUAF.com and see how you fare. And if you're a listener of Ozarks at Large, you might notice a pattern in the word choices. But hey, I don't want to spoil it for you. Just head over to KUAF.com and play along. And thanks. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we finish up our visit with musicians who entered the Arkansas Tiny Desk Concert with a visit from Common Roots. We kind of became this group after I had my first kid. Lacey had her first kid about three or four months later. And so it was kind of really just like a stripping down of our music into, okay, what is something that we can continue to do that's sustainable and something that just really gets back to what we want to create. Family and music discussed when Sophie Narani helps us conclude our series of sit-downs with talented Arkansas musicians. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF and at 7 p.m. on Little Rock Public Radio. In that same place where I've been trying not to stare I can't believe that after all this time You make me weak like I could topple down Way down And that's the latest single from the duo Common Roots. The song is titled Falling for You. This is Ozarks at Large, a production of 91.3 FM, KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Pivorama. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Paul Gatling, and Leo Uribe. Additional material today provided by the hardworking newsroom at Little Rock Public Radio. KUAF's Director of Community Engagement is Jasper Logan. Timothy produced today's program in the Harold and Blanche Cock News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. And I guess we will have a show for you tomorrow as well as well as Weekend Ozarks at Large, Sunday morning at 9. That heard on 91.3 KUAF. Right, right. Uh, big plans for the, You've got a wedding. I do have a wedding to All go right. to. Uh, really good friends of mine getting married at Cooper Chapel, having nice. a reception uh, down here in Fayetteville. Going to be a good time. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Timothy Dennis. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season with Haunted Harmonies, a Halloween concert October 28th at Walton Arts Center. Performing under the baton of guest conductor Lawrence Lowe, symphony musicians will play iconic selections from popular movies like Jaws, Bride of Frankenstein, Harry Potter, The Nightmare before Christmas and more. Tickets at sonamusic.org. League of Women Voters of Washington County presents the third annual Dash for Democracy 5K and One Mile Fun Run Walk November 11th at 9 a.m. at Veterans Memorial Park in Fayetteville. Sponsorship opportunities are available on their sponsorship page and online registration is open. For more, lwvarwc.org.